1: Welcome along to another episode of The French Rugby Podcast with me, Tim Groves, ex-Scotland international Johnny Beattie and former France international Benjamin Kayser. The big guests just keep coming, don't they? Uh, so we won't keep you in suspense too long before revealing who we've got on the show this week, but we're at least a little bit interested in what go- what you guys have been up to as well. So um, how you been?
2: Good. Um, after watching some fairly incredible games at the weekend, I managed to get on a trip to Paris for a cool event. Um, called Cans à Table, which was pretty cool. So drinking wine and schmoozing around with Lionel Nalle, Sebastian Chabal, some of your old friends, Benji, um, Cedric Haymans, Julian Bonnet. So it was great fun.
3: It was unreal just to get to get European rugby back on the table. I mean, I'm a huge, huge fan of European rugby. That's, that's what I've always sort of lived for. So I'm desperate to see it back. Very, very random to see Semirad Radra playing for Bristol, to see <laughs> and just running through people like they were nothing, Very random to see 5,000 crowds or to actually to see no crowd at all. But it was still European rugby. So I was still chuffed. I went to Toulon and I was lucky enough to do toulon Scarlets, which was a great game. Scarlets gave them a proper run for their money. Uh, And I had a few wines, but... Well, not with Sebastián, Lionel, Nallet. just with my old mates Aistoyava and Christmas Oi, who apparently had a double up then the massive He was weekend. with me again, <laughs> so he had a great time. But um, with a funny, funny story of what happens in the hotel room afterwards. But I'll keep it for later. Oof.
1: Ooh, intriguing. Let's touch on those European quarterfinals then, because it was a good weekend for the French clubs, apart from Cast. But we'll get onto them in a minute. But one of them lost Clermont. Benji what happened
3: no I, I we we told you last week i mean I, we were scared yeah me, me and Johnny were saying that listen racing were hot Clermont just Felt that they were in doubt, you know, not themselves, not fully there yet. Uh, Franca Azema said it after the game. I think that quarterfinal came too early for this group. Uh, they're just not there yet. And to be fair, there's a turning point of 14 points consecutively scored by Racing, which are a little bit against the, a little bit lucky if you know what I mean. There's a kickoff. Damien Peno jumps over everyone, whacks it. I think it's Romainov picks it up and then he goes and scores fantastic and then there's that kick of that little bit lucky of Francois Trinduc you know the bounce Matsushima's looking at it, looking at the ball and it just bounces above his head picks it up and scores again and that's back-to-back 14 points done deal you shouldn't hide the fact that uh, they got really pushed in the scrum they got they really struggled in the scrum with a young tighted Colombe uh, for racing uh, who, who really made an impression on me uh, they, they, they got bullied to be fair. Uh, so a bit of a reaction at the end with a few tries scored from Clermont, which is good, but it's worrying. It's a big disappointment. I think the boys were really, really bitter. Uh, now it's going to be every week. Should have they started Sebastian Bézy instead of Morgan Power, blah, blah, blah. I think it's much bigger than that. I think it's just that they need to find their inner self before they decide to see how good they can be. There's definitely the quality. There's definitely the setup. It's just that at the moment, they seem a little bit soulless and that's what worries me the most because it's what hurts me the most.
2: In terms of body language and the way they're walking around the pitch, like you touched on the two easy Rassing tries, but the first try that Rassing scored, which was a mall going nowhere, and then a try in the corner, nobody even gets a hat. Like the easiest try I think I've ever seen scored freakishly in Clermont. And I just thought, what is going on? This isn't right. This isn't the Clermont that I have watched or known for 10, 15, 20 years. And I'm finding it really bizarre watching. And you've touched on the quality. The coaching team, the head coach, Frank Azema, hasn't really changed. The personnel hasn't changed, you've still got Parra, you've still got Lopez, all these guys are still leading, but it, they look lost and I'm struggling to put my finger on it. Again line-out percentage, they've got no platform, their scrum got bullied. You know a lot of the boys in the camp, is there anything, like can you put your finger on anything that's changed or something that's missing or a, la- a lack of something? What for you's changed?
3: I know where you're going, and I think you're right. Um, Frank Azema has been head coach, or at least in the coaching setup, for eleven years. I think it is. So he was three years back coach with back coach, sorry, with Vern Cotter. Then he was he became head coach. Three years with John Gibbs, an extraordinary technician. Then three years with Bernard Guta, and that's his second one. So yes, yeah, what did I say? That's ten years last year, so or well, two years ago, sorry, when I re-signed for two years and he re-signed his contract, we had those chats because that's the relationship him and I had a very upfront and very uh, sort of hand-in-hand hand. and I was like, are you not scared of sort of losing, you know, your authority over the group because you only have a certain amount of period where you can actually be really effective and he says, that that mortifies me. He, he was really, really scared of thinking, ah, oh, you know, my time has passed. It's, it doesn't take anything away from the good dude that he is or the fantastic technician or manager. It's just that, you know, when you keep on hearing the same voice that sort of nags you to push that extra edge, then you're not going to want to go to 120%. You're just going to stick to 95, 100, 95, 100. But top level rugby is about pushing yourself that extra edge all the time. So he tried to do a new setup where he took some height. He became sort of the director of rugby that you guys know. And in France, it's very much. Ford's coach backs coach, Laurent travers Laurent Labitte, that's it. Then the others are assistant coaches. Whereas in England, you sort of have that hierarchy, you know with director of rugby and stuff. and the manager in France, for instance, the manager, is, is almost takes care of the team kits and the, the, the flights and the bus and the bus rides. That's it. So Franck d- d- created a, 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 a role where he is manager, director of rugby, however you want to call it, almost not on the field anymore, promoted Xavier Sadorni to come in there. And so the question is, is it enough? Is it enough to refresh in that, that that chat, that speech, that authority? Uh, clearly at the moment it isn't. And he mentioned it. Remember we, about the, we, we spoke about the game in Bayonne? He said after the game that if we're, that Bayonne were more hungry than them. And if a team is more hungry than you after two weeks, then I'm
1: seriously worried. So he, I mean, he's put his finger on it. They're, they're not hungry enough. Frank Azema has created this English style system do you think that would have worked if he'd brought an outside voice in as a head coach underneath him? Would that have yeah, worked better? I think,
3: to be fair, I think he looked for one, uh, but he, he didn't want to assign anybody just for the sake of it. Uh, he's got one thing with his uh, coaching staff at the moment. Bernard Gouta, they played together in Perpignan. Didier Bess, they've known each other for 10 years. Gavis Adourny, he's the one that brought him up. So they've got this unity, which is very rare. And you ask Johnny, I mean, the, the best example is Mike Ford rocking up to Toulon. Yeah, I'm just a backs coach. <laughs> Two weeks later, he was already stabbing somebody in the back and he became head coach. At least that's never going to happen in Clermont. They're, they're, they've got a tight unit and none of them want his head. They're in this together. And that's that was his way of addressing it. And so John O'Gibbs, like I said, I touched on it, that he was an extraordinary technician. And so he looked for the other John O'Gibbs. How can I get somebody else who would be like a number one just under me, who can really challenge me, bring a new voice? He loves the Southern Manosphere attitude. So his idea, his strategy was to say, I'll create this little setup, I'll promote some of the guys, but I will get some outstanding consultants. Like Joe Schmidt came for three three weeks in Clermont. Um They've got a really tight relationship with uh, with the AB setup. So when I was there, Ian Foster came for a week. Um, Mike Cron, you know, the forwards coach came for a week. To be fair, a week is not enough. Uh, so now they decide to get those guys for three weeks. It's... it's, it's we 're waiting on the results
2: I think the system 's a great idea it 's the way it works in other countries, but the difference is in france you 're forced almost to to a certain extent bring in friends, people that you can trust and work with that aren 't going to push or contest too hard and maybe that from an outside perspective, the coaches that you 've talked about aren 't really that well known, so my consideration would be maybe for Frank Azema, he has to get back closer to the pitch and take more control, maybe the assistants he 's appointed aren't the quality that are really required to push on this team that has Para, Lopez, Fofana, Beno, like some of the best players in France that should be dominating and at the minute are not firing. So again, from an outside perspective, I would say to Frank Azema, you, know, you need to get back on that training pitch.
3: But then, but then you're back on square one you're back to where you were and he was trying to create this other thing but it's not working at the moment you're right That's
1: better than where they are now surely yeah. anyway and that's to take nothing away from Racing because they they are in some good form at the moment and we'll come to what we think of of them in the semi-final potentially later on but that game was at least competitive we did suggest that it it might not be in Toulouse but they ran away with it against Ulster didn't they
2: they were unbelievable I think as well that Ulster team with a few injuries and a lack of depth Um, that really showed through and that they got blitzed. I mean, they got absolutely the strength, the power, the pace, the offloads. I mean, everything that you want to see from a Toulouse team, they did. And, you know, Ugo Mola, notoriously as a coach, doesn't play with too much structure, but they just played and they kept playing and they kept firing. And, you know, some of the strength and some of the power that those boys show, whether it's, you know, Colby finishing everything off one-on-one, fullbacks, wingers could not get one hand on him, let alone two. Peter Aki in the centre, I mean, absolutely phenomenal. Destroying his carries, gain line, offloads, um, almost freakish. Then you've obviously got Dupont breaking tackles, breaking the line, um, and Tolo you know, young find their new back row boy that's come through. Just, they're frightening um, in so many different aspects. And there's loads of people we haven't touched on, like Yuan Uge. Again, he was a monster. He was phenomenal the weekend, and they just have so much power and pace at home against a team... In Ulster, who were shorn of a few players, I mean, they were frightening. And they absolutely blew them off the pitch. It was insane to watch. Uh, like you said, Chelsea and Colby at the moment
3: is simply the best player in the world. Huh? He's just untouchable. Uh, well, with Semi Radradra maybe, I don't know. But he's just untouchable. It seems like nobody can actually catch him. It's, it is, it is that freakish and, and to top it, to re, re, um, link it to what we were talking about before. You remember that five years ago they were in challenge cup, huh?
2: Oh, they were terrible. They were not
3: the same to lose as, as before. And they've rejuvenated, sorry, thanks to a passion, a team spirit, a brotherhood. Uh, there's a guy that I know very well, Joe Tecori. I don't know if you, did you play with him in cast, Johnny?
2: No, I didn't play with him, but we've had a few nights out together. He's a, uh, he's again, a just holds a changing room together. He's an amazing he's a, guy.
3: He's a top dude that literally will create a culture almost, almost on its own. We compare compared to Saracens. Yeah, but they all speak English in France. The main problem is that you need to get different nationalities, different languages to actually bond together. Sometimes it's going to be with zero words. it's it's going to involve the glass of wine (laughs) most of the time, but uh, it can also involve different things. And Joe is a key element. He's the anchor of this team. And so, so yeah, to link it, what we were saying, not only they've got the Chelsea and Colby and all the guys that you mentioned, Johnny, for sure. But on top of that, they've, they've got that brotherhood, which I, I, I am, I hate to admit because it kills me inside, but it's true. Uh, that's what got them to stay in in the fight in Clermont with two men down that's what got them to to win the titles two years ago and that's what's getting them to produce some phenomenal rugby at the moment
1: and from a positive to a negative just down the road from Toulouse Cast had to forfeit their challenge cup quarterfinal at Leicester because they had four positive tests for coronavirus in their ranks but they weren't happy about it at all were they
2: no but unfortunately that's where we are in world sport right now i mean we all want to see the contest we want to give them a fair shot for any team to be eliminated without having set a foot on the field is horrible Um, and gut-wrenching and rightly so the players are devastated but that just unfortunately the way life is at the minute and obviously they kicked up a fuss they're not happy but you can't take the field it's just it is the way it is so it's devastating for them as a group not to be able to take part and to be knocked out in that way is unprecedented um and for the playing group for the coaching staff and for the supporters it's heinous
1: it was quite a strong statement that they put out and then kind of seemed to retract um but they accused epcr of Amateurism, because they said there was no rule specifically about the number of positive tests that would mean they would have to forfeit the game. And then they also said that none of the players who were due to to travel tested positive, and they were in their kind of wider squad. So, I mean, do you have any sympathy with them, or 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 do you think fair's fair and four tests you have got to cancel the game? You have to have sympathy with
3: a team that wants to go and beat Leicester uh, at home for a quarter final that they deserve to be there for that they've worked hard for fly the whole team. And once you're in front of the pitch, they tell you no. I mean, you have to feel for them. That is that is pretty tough. In, in the global problem that this pandemic is causing to the world, you have to say, like Johnny says, listen, that's that's the state that we are all, are all in at the moment. Uh, you, you can't afford to complain. I think what they were pissed off about is what you said, Tim, is that the guys who tested positive were within the squad, not even traveling. So the squad who was traveling, I think did a test on the Thursday morning because they have to, and none of them were positive but i'm not a doctor but if if when i know, i've seen that for instance the, the the prime thank god the the prime minister <laughs> of, of france was at, on the tour de france just for a visit and the head of tour de france actually caught it got, got tested positive for COVID. so the prime minister because he got in contact with him to prove to show example had to self-isolate for 14 days test again negative he was negative all the time never caught it and then went again sport has to lead by example unfortunately
1: And also in the Challenge Cup, you mentioned you were there, Benji, but Sergio Preece came on the podcast last week, scored the try, the one-till on the game. So how was the game, first of all, but also the pitch? What was going on with the pitch? It's not helping, is it?
3: I don't know what's... what's, I mean, you're like the 10th person to ask me. We didn't speak about the pitch once. You Brits need to get away from the grass (laughs) and the green and the rain and the weather and this and that. The pitch wasn't that bad. Yes, it was maybe not perfect, uh, but honestly... It, it wasn't them. But maybe it looked worse on the TV than actually the way that... Did you hear any of the Scarlet's players complain about it?
2: All of them, I mean, surely, yeah. surely
3: the, the Welsh cannot complain about a bit of rain and a bit of mud. But it, is, it, it honestly wasn't that bad. But Sergio, uh, really, really happy to see him. He had a good game. He had a very good game. He played 78 minutes, I think, again, of very solid rugby. Um, he actually said to me before the game that he had a great time chatting to us. So I was, I was really pleased. And um, he's just a class act. And I spoke to the coaches before, they're saying, listen, he's just class, he's just class all over him. So he did really well. And for the little story, they got a, a first try um, canceled for just slight knock on and the first half a beautiful try with three off sort of consecutive with them tiny bit of a forward pass and Sergio scored and he's still to end up by scoring the other one so you know he's the, the big fella is still hanging in there he's still running support lines he's still led by the by the front against a tough uh, Scarlet team to be fair who, who did really well and who gave them a, a good run for the money
0: ready to pop the question the jewelers at blue have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Well, it's about time we've got a guest on now, and he'll have had a keen eye on the Champions Cup semifinals at the weekend, but possibly from the comfort of his own sofa nowadays. It's former wrestling and all-black star Joe Rocothacco. How are you?
4: Good boys, Um, good to be here, good to have a bit of a chat about footy and uh, excited for this weekend for the boys.
1: So um, for those of the listeners that don't know, set the scene for us, where are you and uh, what are you up to nowadays?
4: Obviously I retired about coming up to two years now, Um, I finished off a racing in 92 here in Paris uh, and currently working with uh, the academy boys in terms of helping out with attack and defence with backs and a bit of sevens as well, so that's my role at the moment.
1: And how's that all going? Are they, um, are they good, the wrestling youngsters?
4: Mate, uh, yeah, they're good, mate. It's a, it's a, it's a massive talent here. Uh, good challenging for myself, especially with the language and so forth. Uh, but yeah, just it's awesome to see, seeing young guys grow.
2: So obviously not a bad mentor to have in yourself coming in, Joe. Um, Possibly one of the best converts to go through is a few guys making the transition through to coaching. Now being involved in the setup, you obviously watched racing at the weekend. What did you make of the the pro boys and the game that they had against Claremont?
4: I guess first and foremost, is just the, the amount of young guys who came from the system. We actually took part in that game. I think we had about nine to eight players being, coming through our academy system. Uh, that was pleasing to see. Uh, and seeing them playing at that level uh, was awesome. Just... Uh, Obviously, the spectators were there, but the intensity of the game was uh, surely there. Uh, kind of died off, obviously. Uh, couldn't hear much because of the refs coughing majority of the game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, in terms of that, uh, you know, and it was a good match to watch.
3: Joe, I mean. I'm not liking the smile that you have on your face when you mention it. <laughs> I have to be careful, mate. I
4: have to be careful my words.
3: That's a bit of a tough one. Now it was a well-deserved well win, 150%. I was just gonna You mentioned the number of guys who went through the academy. So the image of Jackie Razzetti's project in racing, for people who actually don't know it from within, is that he's just signing huge names, the Andrew Mertens originally, and Gus Pichot, and obviously uh, all those other big, big names. But but to be fair to him, so he created an unbelievable uh, training center, and he's becoming sort of the best. Um, so racing is becoming again sort of the best young youngsters set up in France I mean the Collingard the Colombe and all those guys come from a, a, an academy where they, they patrol the whole of France basically for the best talent it, correct me if I'm wrong but the under 17s the under 19s are absolutely killing everyone at the moment and their main focus is to get sort of yeah players from, from, from Paris originally if they can but just from their academy back into the first team
4: yeah, that's, that's exactly it you don't see uh, as a player you see more being involved with the academy now um, just the driven about, it's, it's awesome to see a French club really passionate about their young boys, passionate about them coming through the system. And if we cannot, uh, you know, mold them into be top 14 players, we want them to be the best pro 2nd division player or, or maybe federal one. But our goal is trying to, and the club's goal, is trying to get the best out of these players as best as possible to prepare them to their next level.
1: And so linking that to, to your career, Joe, obviously growing up in, in Fiji and then moving to New Zealand, what, what's the system in France like for, for youngsters compared to what you experienced in, in New Zealand?
4: It's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you don't know. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, it's a lot of differences, um, I guess. for We're, we're more hands-on. Um, and development-wise, I guess the skill set, you rely more coming to your club uh, to be developed. Rather in New Zealand, it's it's in the schools. Uh, you know, it's it's you, at lunchtime you'd be playing touch rugby, uh, you know, and here you'd be playing uh, football, soccer. And the only time you get to work on your craft is when you come into your club, uh, your clubs, and you work on your skills and so forth. So our development early on is really being built in the playgrounds, and uh, you know, there's a few academies around New Zealand who who, who look at the talent early on and they just keep an eye on them. Uh, from age group, and they they put the right people uh, for that player, for example, uh me being involved under sixteens I always had uh, a guy that wasn 't part of my career during Auckland development and carried on to new zealand under eighteens and so forth so they keep a close eye on you under the development part and and obviously NZRFU works closely with the clubs and the relationship between the clubs and the actual general union is is one goal is trying to get create the best player to be. A future All Black or a future Super Rugby, while here it's quite quite different between the club culture and their play and the national team are are not really connected as as we know.
3: I've I've got one more question. It's that at the, at the weekend I was with your good mate Ice Toyava, oh, and and, um, and we were chatting about because sorry I, I just moved to England. And I got picked up for, by my local rugby club there to do a little bit of coaching. Yeah. Um, they're like fifth division. At the end of the session, they were all chatting, doing a, like a feedback review of their attitude and their skills and this and that. I'm looking at them as like, I mean, even in second division in France, they won't do it. You go to fifth yeah. division in France, there's a guy probably smoking in the middle of the <laughs> huddle at the end. And oh, th- he's yeah. barely looking at it, scratching his balls and this and that. <laughs> the boys were getting bollocks. They were getting yeah. bollocks for being two minutes late. I mean, they all have full-time jobs and this and that. And Ice was like, mate, you go to club rugby in New Zealand. That's 100% how it is. You've got standards. You've got yeah. levels. It's got nothing to do with the level that you play at. Huh? You've got to go full on, work on your craft with this. And the second thing he was telling me, tell me if you agree. He reckons that he's never been part of a country that's such a waste of talent uh, within the youngsters. Like, he's telling me the talent in here is just massive. next level. He's, he's comparing Damien Penault. So Damien Penault, <laughs> I don't know if you know him personally, but he's completely cool. He's a character. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's lovely, but he never trains. He never does anything, but he's just gifted. And he's like, give me a guy like that in a proper setup. I'll make him the best player in the world. Like, he's got nothing to, to, you, to be ashamed compared to
4: any other yeah. team. So do you agree on that? I totally agree. Like I've seen plays, especially just when we were involved here, the Super 7s uh, was done here in the arena uh, earlier in the year. Uh, just the amount of young, talented players are around. Um, some players get lost uh, because of their, their journey, because they don't take it as serious. And, uh, you know, they don't actually know the talent and uh, the qualities they have to go up to their next level. It's like the vision of uh, the Repentidadals of this world. You know, they've got so much talent. Uh, they'll turn up when they want to. Uh, but they won't go up to their next level. And I've seen it here as well. When they work off their instinct, the French, as we know, they, they use their French flair. Uh, they just come so natural in the way they play. But it's the, the small small details, as you say, the turning up, the being precise and being consistent uh, in the way you do your skills, the way you do your preparation every week. Uh, that's just the missing part. But I've seen the last few years here in racing, especially, uh, I'm just talking on behalf because I'm here most of the time. Um, they're changing the mental mental side of that of their game has changed the last three years and it's good to see
2: See I think to touch on that again I think from my experience similar to Joe Scotland's a small country small population, so You have to work your backside off to get the most out of what we have because it's really small I arrived in France and I almost found coaching. It was more like somebody would pick the team and they would pay foreigners to come in but that was it. There wasn't much on skill development or technique or strategy or everything was a level down. And so I, I find it's like a vicious circle. Like coaches haven't had to coach because there's been a reliance on foreign talent, but that's now all about a change. That's where it's exciting. You've got guys like Joe that are part of a system now where you get to educate young French kids, and because of gif numbers having to go up, they're all going to get game time. So I agree there's this massive bank of talent that's not tapped into. Now it's all gonna get game time. We've seen two years of under 20s absolutely killing it and now we're going to see I hope that the French team over the next 5, 10, 15 years is going to dominate you know when I was growing up I loved watching them and I want to see them there every time they play and I think that's the first building block is getting young French kids upskilled and teaching them properly and then you're also going to develop another layer of coaches I think you've lost a sort of generation of a formation of, of coaches coaching and more people just selecting teams and now what we're going to see in France is another raft of young French coaches that want to teach kids, that want to learn themselves, want to get better. And that's only going to drag everything up. So it's exciting to see. I wanted to ask you, Joe, from the conversations we've had before previously about when you were back home and, and things you were learning, for instance, when you were 17, 18 with coaches like Graham Henry. I remember you said when you first arrived in on the first team and the pro team, which would have been mid-2000s, were doing what you were doing when you were 17. So how far, how far, how hard did you find it to adapt to French rugby and adapt to the French system when you first arrived in the country?
4: It was precisely that. I think we talked about my, uh, the simple drills that you learned earlier in New Zealand where my under 18 coach was Joe Smith, uh, Smithy. so um, he, he's detailed. So he's running lines, angles, uh, line. And had Wayne Smith in your early career and he's lying with your eyes, looking this way but changing your body angles. So it was all that stuff was from 18 to 21. You're learning all the small details, but coming into Bayonne, was uh, my first few months. was quite difficult because we had a few drills that they s- finally started doing when we've learnt way back. I was a bit surprised uh, in terms of that, but I kind of understood where the development uh, was still catching up with the, the rugby-wise of, of understanding what to do during training, and I found it pretty hard in the beginning uh, to adapt. Uh, it didn't help myself going into, into the season, not really mentally there, physically kind of drained because I actually missed out on the on the squad, the initial squad in um, 2011 and I came to bayonne So that didn't help with my uh, adapting to the game. And I assumed things just to happen. You know, I thought things would just happen for me. Uh, the structure of the game should be more open, but it wasn't. It was... Uh, you know, it was starting to think where your gloves are in the wing now because uh, you know, it was ballon Porter, you know, drive, drive, your job is high ball. And it was like I think we'd done about ten moves, back moves during the week and we'd done one move in the game, you know, because you know, it's your game plan was to play wide when it comes to the game, you know, it's all close games. So it was it was hard to adapt, but uh, I kinda learned and later on the following was quite better. I was just to how can I adjust myself to the system and how could I put my style of game into how they try to play so if it was driving the ball was trying to work off the ball trying to do decode rather than sitting in the wing and, and complaining so it was pretty hard but adapted in the end
3: you said about that having a number of backs um, back moves and not doing them in Bayonne. that's what happens when you have a fullback called Scott Spitting, who's built like a freaking fridge <laughs> and he's he's bigger than most back rows that you would ever see and he loves a bit of contact so
4: he's probably just dummying to you all the time just waiting for it to happen I think my biceps
3: well biceps are still saw on that yeah just on that i remember i i obviously i don't know anything about how it was from inside but at the time in bayonne everybody was on your ass about not scoring tries and i remember they made i don't know if you read the french press or whatever but it was sort of they were always waiting you know like, when is he going to score what is it however good you played It was just, when is he going to score? When is he going to see this scoring machine from NZ? You know, he's sort of wrapped up. So you're expecting big things. And then, again, to touch on what ice and stuff, from a conversation I have with him, he was telling me that the pressure in New Zealand on the ABs is just next level. How could you compare the pressure of not scoring tries in Bayonne to the pressure of basically, you had to do even more than winning, basically, for the ABs back in NZ?
4: Yeah, that's a good question because there was another level. I guess the first few months I was like, I'm so happy I couldn't understand French <laughs> because of the, the articles. And uh, when you run off the field, I was so happy or whatever they were saying, I couldn't understand. Well, everything's changed now. Um, but in terms of uh, of pressure, yeah, uh, you know, I wasn't playing my best, to be honest. Estas, for me, mentally wasn't uh, there and physically wasn't as fit as I should have been and kind of went expecting things to work and people were expecting a lot from me. And uh, going into the preseason and in the airport, I kind of told myself, I made a promise to myself, I should really, really let my standards down um, because obviously these people are putting pressure on you because the club, the community, the the whole town had invested in you to come and play for them and, and, and do your best and you coming not living up to your uh, expectation, which uh, I felt real gutted in the end. So my whole drive in pre was to firstly get, before getting respect from the, the community and the players, I had to do my hard work. Uh, I had to look at myself first. And, and we always know you're an all-black player 24-7 and not only playing, but you had to train like one. So for, for instance, my first training pre-season, I had to train like one. Uh, you know, all my action had to be like that and, and it improved. Uh, I got the respect, I had to get my respect for myself. The second one was to get respect for my players. Uh, In terms of working hard for them and doing everything the best I could for my team. And obviously, the the community uh, was the the third objective. And once I had those things in in line, uh, things worked better. And the pressure came of scoring tries, and the tries came later on. But my first uh, goal was to actually perform uh, for my teammates first uh, and then the spectators.
1: And you mentioned, Jay, that mentally you maybe weren't weren't quite in the right place or the place you wanted to be when you, you first arrived. I mean, yep. can you put your finger on why that was? Was it because obviously you had such a successful All Blacks career? You're a permanent fixture for you know nearly a decade, played in a couple of World Cups, but then you mentioned yourself were left out by, by Graham Henry for 2011. So, I mean... Take us back to that time. Like, what did he say to you? How much of a shock was it? How did you feel at the time? And then bringing that over to France as
4: well. Uh, the good thing about uh, the relationship we've, we've had with the coaches throughout those years was, you know, they had, when at times that I didn't make it through, they made efforts. Like, Graham was in Auckland. Uh, he would ring me up if I missed that. Uh, I think I missed up two times, occasions in the selection. you If you weren't performing during the year, he'd try to invite you to his house and say, actually, what's happening? What's going wrong? And Obviously, with the last selection, um, it's always bad, obviously. When you get the call, when you see the phone number, and it's Ted, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, but he was, yeah. He just said, "I'm sorry, you um, hadn't made the team." And I, I was at peace in some in some ways. I was ready to move on, uh, kind of ready to move on because I really signed for Bayonne. But I wanted to finish off in the high. But yeah, I just wished them all the best. And move. I thought I was ready, at peace. But arriving in Bayonne. Uh, it was a whole new switch of culture and expectations. Like Benji said, came all at once. Mentally, it was still kind of dragging this, you know, disappointment. And at the same time, you're expecting things just to happen. now. So that kind of um, uh, was quite hard. Like I said, in the first few, uh, the first few months. But you know, I'm glad it kind of happened because it kind of rebooted myself. I really thought about myself to actually come back. Back to your roots is working hard on, on my faith. And we have uh, Christophe Delo, um, he is old school. Uh, Christian Lanta, you know, they are uh, they old school coaches. Uh, first meeting, you know, for them the following season, sit down. Christoph is straight, straight face, and Scott Speeding is my translator. And he's just laughing in between and shaking his head. And uh, so Christoph is explaining, and Scott goes, Scott, what do you say? He just said, he doesn't care who you are, <laughs> what you've done. Uh, for me, you're gonna start from the bottom, and you have gotta earn your way. And I went, perfect. That's what I need. And I just need someone. Just tell me straight, put me back, uh, to put me back in my place, restart, and go again. And uh, in a massive respect for those two coaches. They did things old school, but uh, you need some. Sometimes you need some old school things to get you back to your place.
1: Things did come quickly at the start of your career in New Zealand, didn't they? Because you won a Super Rugby title in your first season. You you were straight into the All Blacks. You were scoring tries at a ridiculous rate. And I think you were the youngest All Black since Joan Lomu as well and broke his single season try scoring record. So, I mean, you it was a different kind of pressure when you moved to France, but you were obviously used to the pressure because being compared to Joan Lomu, there can be no greater pressure.
4: Yeah, see. Are you see. you... I've learned a lot from my years. Um, I guess for the first year, because uh, not much much people knew about me. I didn't even know there was a World Cup during that year, to be honest. Let alone be selected for Super Rugby. So everything just came one after another. And I was just playing as it goes. Um, Selected for Super Rugby. next. Oh, I'm playing Super. Uh, I didn't have a chance to play ITM Cup um, because of uh, playing sevens and I got injured. And then... Next thing you're being talked about making the A-Bs and A-Bs was like massive and still didn't know there was a walk up there because I had no plans on being involved in any of those teams uh, and so I had gone through the motions, uh, gone through the ride and throughout the years I've just expected things to happen like how it happened in 2003. Well, things change, obviously, as all as well, players know, that people read you more, understand you more, the game moves on. Uh, there's more high balls now. There's no more, you know, there's more uh, contesting, uh, contesting for the ball in the air. So I had to develop myself and not just rely on my talent as I did in my first year, of talent and instinct. I had to grow as a player as well because the game kind of moved on as well. And I had to do more high balls because I lost heaps of balls in my first time wasn't the last time that Springboks done bombs, but uh, I had to develop my game as well, and I had to mature pretty early, uh, early in my career, and I've, I've done that roller coaster career thing. And obviously, going into France was another movement learned, and I felt like for myself, I I played my best rugby in my last few years in France, enjoyment wise, and being in uh, development wise.
2: In terms of developing as a young fella, you came in very early, but what was it like to walk into a dressing room and have guys, you know, a multitude of different characters? You had Mills Malayina, you had Dougie Howlett, you'd have Penny, like all these guys to learn from and the different things you took from them. What were they like and how much did they help you as a young boy coming into that environment?
4: Oh, massively, especially those boys who are in the Blaze uh, squad. Um, you know, with Carlos, starting with Carlos, his whole thing was trying to get the ball out wide. I just want my wings to touch the ball. That was his whole aim. And if you're not an option, if you don't get the ball on the outside, I want you hanging inside inside ball. So if there's not an inside ball, there's a banana kick coming to your way. So he's always, you know, he's always wanting me to, or the wing is outside to get the ball. Uh, in terms of Mills, he was kind of pretty much my mentor at fullback. He always had this conversation at the back. You can always feel confident about uh, your safety of going up or covering. Uh, he was always a guy that gave me feedback during the game and see if I was right upstairs. And Roops obviously, my first ever preseason game. Uh, we played the Hurricanes, and it, you know, being 19, you're marking against you're marking Jonah, and you got Tan on the other side, and you got Cullen at the back, and you got Alamy Mia and Peter Latini and Jason Spice and Martin as replacement. And so I'm 19 seeing these guys. I was like, man, what am I doing here? <laughs> yeah. uh, the first ever kick, first ever kick, goes deep. And uh, <laughs> let alone that Jonah gets the ball. I was please pass. Please pass. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm chasing the ball because the ball did He looks, he runs to the middle, looks to go open. Then he does a, he knows I'm a young kid. So he always, I've always said about Jonah, he always tried to test the young kid. He runs towards the middle, then he does a massive step off his right and comes back to my, uh, 15 meter line. And I was just like, here it is. This is life. This is like what you watch every time and you've got to get the full experience of it. So close my eyes, Matt. because <laughs> my eyes. Prayed so much. By the time I opened my eyes, all I remember I was holding my leg and my, my family was on the sideline. So it was a quite a close game. And all <laughs> I can see, my brother's laughing in the sideline. <laughs> uh, it was my uh, welcome to super rugby. And, um, uh, and uh, obviously in that game before that game uh, Rips came up to me uh, he could tell I was nervous and he'd been doing it for a long time and he, he said hey bro I guess you're right he goes yep yeah. when you get the ball bro just think about think about flying just when you get the ball think about <laughs> flying and I no wonder why he does this all the time because uh, <laughs> every time he gets the ball, he, he flies. And, and that was that one advice that Rube said, just back yourself and pretend, uh, just imagine you're flying and you're just, no one can catch you. So uh, yeah, so a lot of those guys have played a big part.
1: And did Jonah give you advice as well when you started, particularly your Allback career? Did he give you some advice?
4: Look, sadly enough, that was his last actual two games preseason, and he didn't play super rugby because of the kidney. And that's the whole reason we all got kind of Made ourselves selected in that squad that year. There was preseason 2003, but prior to that 2002, uh, the ABS had a camp in Auckland, and they invited uh, up on some up-and-coming players who might maybe feature ABS. And they invited me as 18 old to go across to that camp just to train. There was Jonah and Cullen. They my two massive heroes. Uh, went into that room, and you could tell I was a bit shy. And he was the first guy to come across to say, Bro, how are you doing? He goes, and I didn't know what to say. Man, I was just said, oh, good, good, yeah, good. And he said, what's your name? He explained. And he said, oh, how was Christmas? And I was like, man, this guy's. I thought it was just a how are you doing, and that's it. <laughs> but uh, I don't know what to say. It was just the old short one answer. Yes, good. Yes, good. Like as you do as <laughs> islanders, or you nod your head. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there was a massive impact, and he, you know, I just watched him work at the gym. I uh, just watching these boys work and the standards and. Trying to raise every time, John Mitchell at that time was trying to bring in some young guys just to get a taste of what to expect if you want to be in this level. And I did, and what I got from the first day was how kind they were and how humble they were to bring me in and make me feel uh, feel at home at, at ease.
1: And one of the guy that you mentioned there from your time at the Blues was Carlos Spencer. So. First of all, what was he like to play with? And second of all, obviously you're at wrestling now in your final season. You played with Finn Russell, and now you obviously know him really well. So are there comparisons there because he's always called a maverick?
4: Oh mate, right. yeah, I'm not sure Finn has done any gym this whole career. Man. <laughs> <laughs> he he turns up as long as the trainer sees him, does a thumbs up, he tears, looks at the mirror, then he's off to the physio room. Um, <laughs> But he's, that's why he's injured. I was giving him a hard time this, after, uh, this week. Uh, his injury on his shoulder because it's his first tackle of his career. So he's trying to ice that off at the moment. But he's a character. He's... He's... Um, He's a bit of a Carlos but a Scottish version. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Halo. But, we'll, take but, it. we'll take it. Uh, but uh, he's more the guy that you see in the uh, he's from the pub, you know? He doesn't play professional rugby, the next thing and he's killing it. <laughs> you know, he's one of those players that we we love. We uh, he backs himself. Uh, he knows yeah. when to do the two uh, went to be serious and direct, players, and went to have enjoy himself. And he's been awesome for us, and we've been fortunate enough. We've had uh, some good tens come past him. Carlos was the same, you know. He's he's reading the play. He's uh, uh, just creating opportunities, but you can never take your eye off him because he can do a dummy and then he's gone. Uh, and that's like for plenty of tricks because you just look at him. He's so lethargic, and it looks lethargic, but he's like Desi, you know. They're so calm as tens, you don't know what to expect. You know, he could be looking this way, then he knows their space are wide and he does a massive cross-kick. Um, and he's been playing awesome. he um, didn't make his... He's unlikely to make that on Lions trip to um, to New Zealand. And, you know, it's been interesting, these 10s uh, coming up to be chosen in the Lions tour uh, to South Africa. Uh, for me, he's he's awesome at the moment. He's playing real well and he's just growing confidence at the moment.
2: And for me... Looking back, when I enjoyed my rugby as a young kid watching, Carlos Spencer was always the guy that I idolised. But for me, Finn is the guy that embodies New Zealand's spirit and how you want an attacking 10 to play. Just how good do you think Finn can be if he pushes on? Do you think he can go and start and be the first choice for the Lions if he applies himself?
4: If he does, uh, you know, we, I rate him. Not just because I just play with the guy and he's got some lame jokes, but he's uh, <laughs> he's, a, he's a good player, bro. He's, um, you know, he's... If he, yeah, like you said, if he can rule, upskill himself and and continue to grow, you know, because obviously players again will analyze how you play. But for him, I think he's just waiting for that the big stage, that extra big stage to perform. You know, he's been playing obviously and, and do different competitions here in Europe. Um, but the next stage, obviously, he's done international. But for him to really test himself as uh, that line store, and I'm sure he's he's working hard at it. Um, it's the hardest I've seen him work this year um, but um, no, he's a great talent so I'm sure we'll see him in that level soon
3: enough enough with the Scots already I mean come <laughs> on you know,
4: first it's racing then it's the Scots I know you've
3: got the one who can be starting for the Lions but enough But <laughs> a serious question though you can never see a Frenchman obviously in entering the British and Irish Lions not even just because it's not in the rules just it's, it, there is a difference of culture right that you can sort of address and see if you could pick the odd guy, like the Sergio Paris or whatever. But if you could pick one French international, who do you think could make the next British and Irish uh, Lions tour? Do you think like Virimi Vakatawa? Do you think Teddy Thomas, if he buys himself half a brain? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, think, you know, just oh, even Teddy Ribaren. I mean, he's probably like oh, he's one pretty- of the most underrated yeah. uh, players in France, but that he's, 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 for me, one of the symbol of French rugby. He's raggedy, weird, but bloody hell, he's got a lot of talent.
4: Yeah, he's a, he's a name that I guess most players that know him well uh, will agree to, Benji, because of his... You see some of his tackles when he comes yeah. off the line. He just gives yeah. it everything. And he's tackling guys like who are 20 or 40 kilos heavier than him. So he's got, like you said, he's got the French spirit. He, he's all rough and tough and he's real he's intelligent as well. Knows when to kick. He's got a good left foot on him. Uh, and, and he controls the game really well and he's got a lot of respect from the boys as well so yeah, Teddy will be and uh, oh, there's a lot there's a lot if I had to choose uh uh, yeah, Teddy Tom will be good, I guess. He'll, uh, he'll fit in somewhere like that. But and saying, like you said, Teddy Tom, uh, Teddy Tom is uh, mature now. He's, uh, he's changed. No, right? he's i never believe it. I will never believe it. And if he hears this, if he hears that he can be picked for the Irish Lions, I'm
3: telling you, he's going to be in Vegas
4: next week or something. He will never play rugby again. He's gone. Uh, we've had we've had our issues with that. We finished with that cup. <laughs>
1: So going back to your, your career, Joe, obviously we spoke about when you came to Bayonne and the cultural differences there. Obviously you were there for a while and then moved to, to Racing. So, I mean, first of all, how did that move come about? Obviously I know Bayonne got relegated, but did Jackie Lorenzetti woo you? What did he, did he whine and dine you? Or how did it come about? And what was the differences between those two clubs? <laughs>
4: yeah, well, we, we, had, we talked about the situations of if, if, if Bayonne got relegated um, so we eventually did, and I spoke to my wife, and uh there was a few clubs on board and wanted to take me on board and I asked my wife what what does she want and she said uh, it's up to you or what do you want and the, the question was, have I done enough and now is my my this time of my career to help the young or i haven't played championship cup try, try to have a crack to at least say I had a chance to get this experience of playing top level rugby and uh <laughs> after the barbers, we after the season. Bayon. we went and play bar and I told my agent now I think my role is to play in Bayonne so I said no to all the clubs and I was meant to stay with Bayonne to go down second division. Uh, went, on, went on holiday to Fiji. Uh, got a phone call uh, from my agent and <laughs> the club said uh, they would love to keep you but things might be complicated uh, but you might have to leave on your own terms obviously uh, because if you I just signed three years if you to stay. And they want you out. Obviously, the club had to look up, pay you out. Uh, so I was like, wow. So this is a holiday. So I had to decide to stay or go. I had three weeks to decide for a club, uh, look for a house in a school, and a all drink in Fiji. So uh, that, I told my agent, can you go back to those clubs? that were and say, you know, uh, because I knew if I had to stay in Bayon, I wasn't doing, I wasn't helping the club. I wasn't helping the club, even if I was staying there. Uh, for them to move on and develop and find other options. I had to, my way was to to go to another club and, and, and that was that was my journey. That's my destiny. So I kind of got forced in that hand. And Racing, a few clubs came, but racing came straight to the table and just said three years. And I didn't want to be doing a lot of moving around. And for me and my family, I have three boys and, and there was many years. Racing came three years. Um, I knew... Uh, Things were quite expensive here with property, (laughs) with the house (laughs) and family. I spoke with Ogara, I had a good conversation with Roger Ogara, Ronan, and uh, he said, blah, blah, blah. And I just said, Roger, if you could just do this, uh, my word, I'll I'll sign tomorrow. And and he did it. And other clubs came and got actually improved with the offer, but I kept my word. No, Roger, you guys didn't muck me around and and I see your guys' vision. And I actually forgot that Dan actually signed for. For a few Q boys signed at the same year so it was all good timing uh, good vibe and a good mixture of guys coming in as well with Yannick and uh, Talo as well um, you know from cast so it was a good time we had a good vibe and things worked well.
2: And When you arrived Joe your coaches were Laurent Labitte and Laurent Travers what were they like as a coaching duo they obviously had a really good rep coming from cast having won a title down there they replicated it up in racing, but how good were they as a team? Obviously, now one is away the French team, but together, how good were they as a as a force?
4: Oh, well, they were good. Uh, in terms of the the level of coaching, uh, it changed dramatically because this first time I've actually been around French coaches when they demand players for their opinions. What do you reckon we should do here? We do this, but you know, give that second option for feedback uh, and give the responsibility for leaders. Uh, creating leadership groups uh, to, to take care of this. But the organisation obviously had one good cop, one bad cop, and they changed all the time, <laughs> uh, as you do. But they, they worked perfectly uh, well, and, you know, they've been successful together uh, throughout the years. Um, you know, they knew how to get a team up, and when things weren't going too well, you know, they worked well tried to get the best out of players, and that you, you can, that's all you can ask for as a team.
1: And you mentioned a bit about the coaching difference in France to, to New Zealand. Obviously, Lauren Labute and Lauren Trevor have done very, very well recently. You mentioned Joe Schmidt at the start of your career, Wayne Smith, others. Obviously, you're now on your coaching path. You obviously want to take bits from different coaches. But if you had to say one coach, the best coach you've had in your career, who would it be and why? That's a tough
4: one. Um, I guess well, Wayne Smith. Wayne Smith is uh, my Coach, if I had to choose out of all of them, just because he keeps things simple. Questions are so simple that you think it's a trick question, but <laughs> and then you realize he just wants your your mind to be ticking and and demanding plays because that's it's, it's only the plays on the on the pitch and what you see, what you think on training and you practice is what you're going to get in the game. So he's demanding what you see, what you do, how to run lines, but just taking initiative of players to take charge but him guiding you through the way, uh, which brings confidence uh, in yourself and knowing, oh, he has confidence in, my, in me, uh, but he can test me as well. So it can be, a, a questions can be so simple as, okay, there's two on a two versus one on the short side, what do you do? And it's like, do you hold the ball? It's like, it's so simple, but you just go and pass, voila. But he just wants you to keep repeating the hit so it's instinct, you know, so you don't ever like, overthink things, but, and his encouragement, um, you know, he's been, he was awesome and uh, just said the right things at the right time. Uh, I think one season he was in charge of defense coach, he was a defensive coach for the ABs. And we had a tour uh, in Europe. Uh, it had been a long time when we won the Grand Slam. Uh, and, and that was our goal. And he was in charge of defense. And before leaving New Zealand, um, he said that he talked about, does anyone talk about? I remember about the, the Black Plague that happened in Europe. Some of us didn't know, some of us just knew right then. He explained the details and uh, he said, uh, for our defense, has to be like the Black Plague in Europe. When we get there, Europe knows we have arrived. And that just put an image in our head, uh, just little things so he can get players to that level. And by the time uh, we got to Europe, we were so evident, driven in our head, we wanted to be this black force that came to Europe and just took charge of defence or aggressive and dominant and little things like that which really uh, stood out for me.
1: And in terms of your own coaching career then Joe you're obviously at the academy now I mean what, what's your kind of vision for your own coaching future do you want to be a head coach at some point do you want to stay in Europe do you want to go back to to the southern hemisphere?
4: A little bit of everything <laughs> I'm playing by it at the moment for myself is just trying to Trying to learn more how the academy system works of of recruiting players and managing players and and then trying to get, teach the trying to see the players grow as you know, you it's your massive responsibility of trying to give the tools to these boys to make them go to the next level, which excites me. And it's the end package as you see as the development for the next few months. And for me it's trying to be around the Academy Young Boys, obviously, and we see from the uh, but at the moment, my whole focus is now is just trying to learn, uh, learn and teach these young boys at the same time of passing on the experience. Uh, so by the time they take that extra step to pro rugby, uh, they, I hope they're well equipped and ready.
2: Now you've obviously taken that step already in France, Joe. But for our listeners that don't know, you've obviously also invested with Anthony Tuatavaki and a few other big names in, in Kiwi rugby out in America and the MLR in Hawaii. You've taken yep. over a new team, so. What are your hopes and expectations for the team out in Hawaii that you set up? And what kind of role will you be taking going forward with them?
4: I think it's uh, a good question because it's actually interlinks with each other. And this role happening now, I'm mean, more of a clear understanding how everything I could do to improve uh, the development, uh, development players, developing players from the, the Pacific. Uh, so our role is more uh, looking over things and how... Structural-wise, of how we should uh, work as, as young coaches, preparing players to uh, the expectations, and of not only on the field but off the field as well. So, you know, be, be with a few players on board that who could help with that, and just with uh, the relationship between understanding what young Pacific players go through and what they, especially at home, and how to manage that uh, when you go to the next level. And the expectation is what you what you can expect. So it's more development for my role anyway, being part of it is working with the young boys uh, and trying to get into this academy system and getting them ready as well to, you know, the big lights, the big world with the, the big competitions.
2: So we're not going to see a president slash head coach of uh, Hawaii, is that what we're saying? No, <laughs>
4: yeah, man, I'll, I'll take the back seat and I'll sleep like this, changing rooms, man. That'd
1: be like job. I was going to say, if you need a, a French assistant coach or a Scottish assistant coach or a media guy, I'm sure we're all interested. Consultant.
4: A <laughs> yeah. nah, couple of weeks a, a year, man. I'll be there. Don't worry, Joe. <laughs> no worries, mate. Oh, Scottish need some time,
1: bro. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thanks ever so much for joining us, Joe. And um, good luck with the, the coaching journey with the Racing Academy and then um, wherever it leads to in
4: future. His boys, Joe. Uh, Chris, Here's boys. Joe. Thanks. Thank
2: you very much. Legend. He's a legend. And also, so we talked about his down times in Bayon. Like, obviously, he had tough times at the start, and it didn't go well. And, you know, French crowds can be tough, and he was booed. And But he is an absolute gent. He worked his arse off. And by the end of his time at Bayon, like, he is an absolute local celebrity. They absolutely love him. He's a superstar down here. I was at the Fete de Bayonne with him last year. He couldn't move for people. We couldn't do anything or go and get a beer because he was swamped. He is absolutely loved. So he was really, really not disparaging, but almost talked himself down about the start of his on journey. But by the time he left here, he was so good. He's absolutely adored. And he's, um, he's an amazing bloke. So great guest to have on.
1: Well, there's a bit of news to chat about too in just a minute. But first, we've spoken about the quarterfinals of, of Europe earlier on. Obviously, the semifinals coming up straight off the back of them this weekend. So let's find your predictions for them. What's going to happen in the Champions Cup semi-finals this weekend?
3: Uh, so you got you got Exeter Toulouse. I'll be I'll be covering that for French TV. And I have to say in front of zero crowd. Is, is a particularity that has to be taken into consideration. Exeter and Exeter is, is a tough old place. I just feel that Toulouse are strong enough to make, to, to make a statement there. Uh, they've got the, the thing with Exeter is that ex, they're extremely forward dominant. They're fantastic in the scrum, in the driving mall and all that. So are Toulouse. <laughs> if there's one team that actually that can punch them in the mouth with, with that power, it's them. And to be fair, I've played Exeter a few times. If you dominate them up front, they don't really have a plan B. Uh, they're extraordinarily powerful, extraordinarily organized, uh, fantastic unity within the court. You can see they've got a great drive. But I really do think that Toulouse can challenge them. Uh, and so it will be a hell of a game. And it's almost going to be on the neutral grounds. Um, and to talk about the second semi, pff, very tight as well. I mean, racing at home are obviously favorites, but Saracens, bloody hell. In, in Leinster, they really impressed me. So it's going to be one of those games that's going to be extremely tight margins, um, if Flint Russell is out of breath and, and, and collapsed under, under Mario Toge's sort of empowerment, then, then, then it's going to be a tough one. So unbelievable, unbelievably sorry, close two games, semi-final for Europe, it's, it's pretty normal.
2: I can't call them at all. Like traditionally, Exeter, you think at home, they've got everything but then so sort did of lose, um, And for me, that's going to be an absolute toy cost. I have no idea who's going to win that game, but I can't wait to watch it. Um, I was meant to be working at it too, but can't travel because of lockdown, which is great. So I'll get to watch it on the couch with my kids jumping on my head, which will be fun. <laughs> um, and again, Rassing Saracens, you just, like we talked about them earlier, but the key for me in unlocking the whole thing is Finn Russell. Can Finn Russell deal with, that squeeze and Saracen's defence, can he play in faces as he has done all year over the past couple of years in France and have that flair and will he be allowed to play? You know, Teams also struggle to go to Paris synthetic pitch. Saracen's playing a synthetic pitch, absolutely used to it. So I'm expecting fireworks extra to lose. And for me, Racing Saracen's can, can Finn un- unlock that game and cut and weave his magic. Again, really tough to call the two. I've got no idea.
1: You're not getting away that easy, both of you. The splinters sat on the fence so much, both of you. Come on, give us, give us two. Is it going to be an all French final? We're not a betting agency here. We don't necessarily <laughs> need to put it. I want to know where to put my money. I'll play,
3: I'll play racing at home, very, very tight, and I'll play Toulouse away. So
2: Ooh, I, all I French.
3: Think, yeah, I do think it's going to be all French, very, very tight. But
2: I, I think this one's going to happen. I'm more inclined to go for Exeter at home. There'll be a different sort of tightness to that game, a different game management from Exeter. They might control it because they have done so well the past couple of years in the premiership. I'm going to go Exeter at home because they're incredibly, even with no crowd, they'll be incredibly hard to beat. That tips it in that favor. Another point we didn't talk about, I want to go for Rassing at home. Um, but we haven't talked again about the Saracen scrum which absolutely demolished Leinster which also kind of worries me for Racing but I don't know just I think they're on form they're confident they've got top class world class players in their back line um, and young boys doing a job up front so I'm going to go I'm going to go two home wins I'm going to go extra at home and Racing at home
1: And in the Challenge Cup uh, obviously it's the semi-randrandra derby Um, can Bordeaux win away at Bristol?
3: Um, To be fair I mean Bristol was very impressive last year I think they still to, to me personally the few times that I saw them they're still sort of gently getting there having added Semi who's only like one of the best players in the world at the moment Kyle Sinclair Ben Earl and all those guys I was I was actually expecting more of them they, they completely outmuscled outplayed uh, Dragons uh, make them look like a second division team so they are hot they're ready to go B- Bordeaux will just be missing if they could just like trip up Semi or something you know like I don't know <laughs> Send him some sort of of send him a, a case of wine or something. But I mean, he he is a freak. He is at the moment. He, I mean, I don't know if you saw that. You can summon his form up at the moment by that try he scored against Dragons. He's almost slowing down to try to pass the ball to give it to somebody else. Ridiculous. I said, like, oh really, really no. Like, bang, one more, and then he's almost waiting. Just can somebody else score, please? I, I, I actually don't want to do the post match interview. And then, <laughs> bang, he whacks another one, and he scores it. I was like, oh. Freak of nature, so I don't think, I, I think it will be a hell of a game. I don't, I think Bordeaux will be just a little bit short because of the lack of games they've played. Uh, and on the other semi, which is, which is Toulon getting Leicester, I think unfortunately it's gonna be a one way street for Toulon. Uh, the Leicester boys is just are just not in form enough and, and Toulon are good.
2: I completely agree. I'm going to go two home wins. So I think the way or the difference that Pat Lam has made since he arrived, they are freakish in the way they play with Lua Tua, with Radrada. And I just think as well, you know, Bordeaux, a bit late to the party, lack of game time. Remy Lamarat, I think, you know, is their sort of muscle man, power player in midfield. He's injured as well. I just don't see how they're going to shackle the Bristol midfield. So for me, Bristol home win, 100% too long Leicester's harder um I mean too long for me haven't been it's not like they've been destroying teams even though they're playing at my all I just I think that'll be tighter even though Leicester are completely in a phase of transition I, I think too long will win but I think that's going to be a tight one Um that'll be the tougher match to call but you know if Sergio continues as Richard in, in a form and dominates as he's been doing line out time try time podcast time um yeah it's going to be a too long win for me definitely too
1: and just to wrap up, I mentioned that there's been some news, and it's it's big news, isn't it? Uh, I mean, I'm going to gonna leave up. you. I'm gonna leave How long you have you to got? Explain it. Tell us why Bernard Laporte and Mohad Altrad have been taken into custody, and what's going on.
3: Uh, I'll I'll take that one, Johnny. If you, and you tell me if my if my heart is making me sort of blind to the Doing
0: reality.
3: <laughs> but... So this is a heavy burden for me, just so you know, and the, 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 the president of the federation was called and it was taken into custody, whatever, for a, a chat with the police is really a heavy burden. So what happened is that uh, three years ago, there's two things that happened. One, there was basically a statement from the fans in Montpellier against the league that got banned uh, by the commission. There was a, a banderole, like a, a poster in the, in the stands. It wasn't extremely offensive. It was just wrongly put. And so the club of Montpellier got fined. I can't remember what it was, like 50 grand and a game of suspension, blah, blah, blah. That uh, week, we heard that, or that during that time, we heard that Altrad, so the president of, of Montpellier, his company, the scaffolding company, was linked to a big sponsorship contract with the French team. Okay, So we knew that there was something sort of going on. And being, being told, oh, be careful, guys, because this might be sort of a breach of interest. I don't even call that again.
1: Conflict of um, interest, yeah.
3: Conflict of interest, exactly. And funnily enough, the commission who then gave an official statement of 50 grand plus one game banned, the next day, there was zero day in game banned. It was only 10 grand of, of penalty. So people started got to start thinking, hang on, what's going on? What's, you know, who did what? And then there was a rumor that there was a call from the president, sort of Bernard Laporte of the French Federation to the commission, telling them, chill down, boys. They're going to be main sponsors. Get rid of that stuff. It's the last thing that we need. Okay. No, 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 I never called, I never did anything, he was questioner. And on top of that, that little icing on the cake, we realized during the that week that there was an individual contract, uh, an image rights contract between Bernard Laporte for 10 or 15, whatever, uh, speaking gigs to the Altrad company, worth 150,000 euros. So that gives you a little soup of holy, wow, that just stinks of, of, of bad stuff. But that was three years ago. And after that, what happened? Uh, the contract got denied, so obviously Bernard Laporte said, oh, yeah, because I don't get paid by, to be uh, president of the Fed Federation, so i got to eat. <laughs> that was his way of saying it. Like, he's a smart guy. He don't sign with the, the head sponsor. On top of that, France uh, got the World Cup 2023 uh, gig and they use the private jets of al for all of them to go to Georgia and all those places so it it just doesn't smell good it stinks, uh, it
1: stinks.
3: <laughs> and so Bernard Laporte denied that is uh, renounced or uh, said no to that contract the individual contract admitted that he called the commissioner but he never said that he influenced the <laughs> the, the the decision so there's decision a one phone call, decision B, but he didn't. He doesn't have anything to do with it. And on top of that, within that commission, I think there was like three or four people. One of the guys of the commission said that he knew about that phone call because that night the commissioner who got called called him to say it's an outrage. The president just put pressure on me. He told me to get rid of that sanction. Blah blah blah. That's not never been proved. I'll, I'll let you go to it, Johnny, because otherwise I'm, I'm going to be there for a while. But the only uh, defense that the Bernard Laporte camp have got at the moment is it's a manipulation of because, sorry, the French Federation elections are next week. And they said, oh, for the last three years we've been questioning, nothing's come out of it, blah, blah, blah. And they decide to call us and put us in custody the week before the election. It's a manipulation. It's the other camp who are playing with us. But he's never talking about the facts. He's, he's They're never addressing the reality. His lawyer, my word, he sounds—he sounds like The Sopranos. Like he, <laughs> it's, he honestly, it's unbelievable <laughs> the way that he was speaking. He's not talking about his clients, but it's the other camp, and it's before the elections. Completely going above and beyond his position. So. All I know is that there's a big sponsor for the Federation. Hallelujah, he's there. All I know is that French, the France, um, France, sorry, got the World Cup 2023 gig, which is an amazing uh, story. I'm just scared that it's, it smells of, it stinks of, of, of dodgy dealings, and that they're gonna have to give, you know, give answer to the justice system. And and I'm just desperate for the truth to come out and for sanctions to come if there need be, but at least put this behind because it it puts a lot of shame. On French rugby in general and it's just not good.
2: I agree. (laughs) I don't know man just the whole thing stinks you've got Altrad and obviously one of entrepreneur of the year 2015, one of the most famous men in France, sponsors the French Federation I think it's 35 million euros a year he gives to the French Federation like it's huge money And there's just all sorts of things that come back with it that we see in rugby over here. Um, Obviously, Montpellier, Moed's club, got done for the salary cap. They had a one and one point something million million euro fine, which then got repealed by the FFR. So the LNR banned the club and fined them. And then the FFR turns it over and says, no, 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 these these guys are good guys. They can pay 90,000 euros. So there's just so many layers of stinking... Corruption and politics that i almost don 't know how these guys these how they dare to try and get away with it like it 's so blatant like i don 't know how you can try and give a company three hundred thirty five million euros and not expect something in return so i don 't know it, it like you touched on it, it brings a little bit of shame to french rugby you 've now got the president of the f f r Bernard Laporte and moed Altrad and I think three others, so Sarah Simon and a couple of others you've you 've had five guys in police custody for the past three days which is just something is just never heard of. Like in rugby, and we talk about our values, our core values, our culture. Um, and this is just politics and meddling and money that just stinks and it's not what we need in our sport. So I don't know, I, ho- I hope it gets ironed out quickly. Obviously you've got lawyers spouting absolute garbage in the press right now in France, but I just hope it goes to court. I'm not sure how they're going to prove anything because um, I don't think you really can. It's happened so long ago. How are they going to trace and get phone calls? And I don't know. Um, hugely complicated, hugely complex and not great for French rugby, especially with the, the you know the big drive to advertise the 2023 World Cup, which is coming in three years time. So not good timing, again, for Bernard Laporte or for his committee. Um, and it just does not smell good, does not look good. And we'll wait to see what happens next week.
1: Well, hopefully this one won't drag on, but I've got a feeling it may run and run and we may well be touching on this again in in future podcasts. So we will wait and see. Uh, Thanks, Johnny. Thanks, Benji. And thanks to all of you for listening and watching as well. Uh, We're on YouTube as well as on all good podcast platforms. um, So leave us a nice five-star review or drop us a message if you get a chance. And we'll be back with another episode next week. Au revoir.
2: Cheers, guys. Ciao.
0: So